Thank you, men, for that message from God in song. We must tell Jesus, He alone, He alone can save us. Please open your Bibles this evening to the 19th Psalm. Psalm 19. We'll read the psalm in its entirety. Psalm 19. Beginning God's word to read in verse 1. Let's hear His truth. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. May God bless the reading of His inspired Word to our hearts for His name's sake. Let's take a moment and bow our heads, please, around God's throne. We'll seek His face together and ask for His blessing tonight. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, as we approach the hour when the Word of the Lord is opened up, we thank Thee that we have already read in the Scriptures of how precious thy word is, sweeter than the honeycomb, how pure, how righteous it is, how it is the discerner thoughts and intents of our hearts. We sang a moment ago when we prayed in the song that thou wouldst search us. 
try us. Lord, we don't want to leave any room unvisited by Thee tonight in our life. We don't want any door shut with the keys thrown away and say in essence, don't come in here. Oh God, we pray that Thou wilt search our heart truly. We might know tonight how we can, in this world, be a people whose lights shine brightly in this dark world, this dark age, and that will especially be seen as we take up this particular struggle that we have as thy people tonight. We ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Aside from having immortal souls that will live in heaven or hell for all eternity, there is something very unique, something else that sets man apart from the rest of creation. And that something is that God has given the man this ability to speak. Animals don't have that ability. Communicate they can, but to actually take thoughts and feelings and put them into words, that's been given to mankind. That which we so easily take for granted is one of God's greatest gifts to mankind, this ability to express ourselves, to say what's going on in our hearts, in our heads, with our lips. It's marvelous, actually. And express himself, man does. Words are continually on our lips, in our home, in the house of God, where we work, with our friends, with our enemies, wherever we are, there is an abundance of words that are spoken, listened to, heard. It's no surprise then that the Word of God lays tremendous stress on the words that we utter. Our text this evening brings us to this problem that we have to struggle with when it comes to our words particularly our words with each other, our words we say about others, our communication, our conversation. Our chief end, as you all learned as children from the catechism, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That, that means that we are to use our tongues, our mouths, in such a way that they glorify the Lord that they manifest His glory no matter where we are. That's our chief end. God gave us tongues so that with the words of our mouths we can reveal to the saved and lost alike that we are truly the children of God, not the children of hell. Obviously, therefore, this whole matter of our tongue and uh, the words that we use in our 
conversation with others and about others is one that is vital and should receive much attention from God's people. It has much to do, much to do with our holiness of life. James underscores this fact in chapter 3 of his epistle where he compares a man's tongue to a rudder of a ship and to a bit that is put into the mouth of a horse. In both cases, it's a very little thing, but how great a thing it is, how important it is to have the rudder on the ship and the bit in the horse's mouth. As large a thing as the ship would be, it's only a small thing, a rudder, that steers it. As small as a bit may be, it does control that majestic strength of a horse. It's so vital to the ship being directed where it should go, to being useful, so vital to the horse and the work it has to do. It's needed to keep everything in check. James says, therefore, that we need to realize how how critical it is that no matter where we are, we control our tongue. That's what he's getting at. The churches to whom he was writing this epistle were having an issue with that. James, through the Spirit of God, brings the truth that, if believed in the heart, will correct, make a course correction in how they were using their tongues. It is a very world of iniquity, he says, and be it ever so small, it can kindle a great fire that devastates and destroys You see, we reveal what we really are by what we say. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I'll say more about that a little bit later. As we speak, we are really showing what's filling our heart, our minds, our understanding. The Lord Jesus said, Matthew 12, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. It's in light of this truth that I want to draw your attention tonight to my text found in verse 14 as we look at this struggle. David prays to the Lord... Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. David begins this psalm in speaking of how God's heavens declare the glory of God. He goes on to sing of how 
even the day and the night speak of God's glory. And at the close of this psalm, he prays that his speech, like the words that are uttered by the heavens and the firmament, would declare the glory of the Lord. That the words of his mouth would be acceptable, that is, pleasing to God, and not displeasing, not grieving, but glorifying to Him. Of course, such a text as this brings us face to face with the struggle we have, you and I have, all of us have as His people, with controlling our tongues. Our words with each other, how we talk, what we talk about, what we say, words mean something. So from this text, I want to speak to you this evening in this next to the last conference meeting on our struggle for a holy tongue. That's what David's writing about. Our struggle for a holy tongue. The first thought I want to leave with you is this. The reason we have this struggle in the first place. It's true that every struggle we're looking at throughout the week has been because of the sinful nature that we have. That's the reason it's there. If we, weren't, if we were sinless, there wouldn't be a struggle. It's because sin is still dwelling within us that this little member right here can set a fire that destroys and devastates people. That does damage that sometimes can never be fixed. That hurts people deeply. That destroys reputations. That grieves the Holy Spirit. We all have to deal with it, and it's there because of the sin nature. So the fact that David is praying about this, taking it to God, intimates that the use of his tongue was a matter for prayer. I must tell Jesus about my tongue. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone Let that ring in your hearts tonight. All throughout the things that we must look at, let that ring. Jesus can help me, and He alone, as I struggle to keep my tongue under control and it be a holy tongue, acceptable words that are pleasing to God. The first reason is clearly seen from looking carefully at the context of this prayer. I pointed out that those first six verses, David has been under divine inspiration, reflecting on the revelation of God's glory in nature. In verses 7 through 10, he's taken up with the revelation of God's holiness through His Word. His glory in nature is displayed, but now He turns to the Word, and the emphasis is upon the purity and the holiness of God who gives the Word. 
Note the terms he uses in connection with God's law throughout that section. Perfect, right, pure, true, righteous. He's describing the word of the Lord. The expression of the Almighty that declares who He is. Pure, righteous, true, perfect. Nature reveals the glory of God's handiwork. It reveals the glory of His knowledge. But it is His Word. It is His commandments, the statutes, the judgments, the law, that especially reveals His holiness. And it was through this Word that David's soul, he says, was converted. It made him wise When it was converted, he got wisdom, and when he got wisdom, it rejoiced his heart. It enlightened his eyes. And it is then that David prays in verses 12 and 13, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I... Be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Now that is what precedes his prayer to God for a holy tongue. And so the first reason David utters this prayer shows us just why there is this struggle. First, why? It's because a believer wants to use his tongue to please the Lord and doesn't want it to be used to displease him. He's been converted by God's truth, by God's Spirit. And quite naturally now, he wants what he says with his mouth not to dishonor the Lord. He wants to be like the heavens declaring the glory of God. He wants his tongue to be used by that. He wants it to be holy. It is true that David had prayed that the Lord would keep him from secret faults, that that would be faults that were hidden from his own sight due to ignorance and sins that he could not see. And we all have sins of ignorance. There's There's a blind side to every one of us when it comes to sin. And he prayed for God that he would keep him back from As well, not just the secret sins, but just the opposite. The bold, prideful, open-faced, in-your-face sin. But David knows that the holiness of God must touch, it must touch his tongue. So that his words are pleasing to God. To have no concern about... What we say, how we use our tongue, about how we talk to people, whoever it is, friend or foe alike. If we have no concern how we talk to our fellow men or what we say about others, then there's something radically wrong with our religion. 
And more than that, there's something radically wrong with our heart. If we don't care about the words that come out of our mouths. Apostle James put it like this in chapter 1, verse 26 of his epistle. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, that man's religion is vain. Amazing of all the things he could have brought up. If he seems to be religious, but he doesn't bridle his tongue, his religion is vain. Those are solemn words that we need to take on board. He's obviously pointing out that the holy tongue a tongue that speaks words that please the Lord is a measure of true religion, a measure of true faith, true holiness. The opposite has to be true. The apostle envisions anyone who has that appearance of being a Christian and who obviously considers himself to be a Christian. They seem to be religious because they did religious things. They came to church, they sang the hymns, they prayed, they gave their offerings. But if the tongue, James is saying, not only here but throughout the scriptures, if the tongue is marked by a blatant lack of self-control, it indicates that their hearts are deceived about their spiritual state. Their religion is vain. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. No matter what that person may think about himself, no matter what others may think of him, if he has an unholy, an unbridled tongue, his religion is false. It's obvious that David believed that the extent to which saving faith, sanctifying grace, grasps the heart can be measured by the extent to which the Holy Spirit and the Word of God has control of the tongue. There is no other deduction that you can make from, the, from what he's saying. Where the Holy Ghost lives I understand there's, there's walking in the Spirit and there's the fullness of the Spirit and there's more and more control. That's what sanctification is all about. That's why there is this struggle that we have. But that doesn't alter the fact that if we're saved, we have the Holy Ghost. He has come in and He's begun to work a change and that affects our tongues. Our words. How we talk and what we talk about. So David is crying to God for a holy tongue. He wants that and he knows there is a struggle for it. The best thing you can do for all your struggles is to pray. Is to tell Jesus. He wants what he says. He wants whatever comes out of his mouth to be pleasing to the Lord. And that means there's going to be a struggle. 
Secondly, David cries to God for a holy tongue. We're answering the question, why? What's the reason for this struggle? David cries to God for a holy tongue because he knew from experience the tremendous power that the tongue has. Throughout his many psalms, and it would be a nice little study, you know, after I'm long and gone, to go through the psalms, carefully read how often the psalmist deals with the tongue and the mouth and the lips and the words. It's so frequent a theme and that you would expect because you're dealing with singing God's word in the psalms. So it's going to deal with the words of our mouth. And David speaks in his psalms of both the, the, the positive aspect of the tongue as well as the negative aspects of the tongue. You see, the tongue can be used, it's a tool. Think about your tongue like this. It's a tool. And it can be a tool that's used to build or a tool that's used to destroy. The tongue has this power, tremendous power to work much good. It also has power to do much evil. The psalmist says that the wicked, for instance, flatter with their tongue. The wicked do that. It's all empty. It's flattery. The motives are false. They're flattering you because they want something from you. He says that their mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. That's someone whose tongue is not under control by the Spirit of God. He's not saved. If that's his lifestyle. The tongue is a sharp sword, he says. He speaks of a lying tongue. A deceitful tongue. He writes, the tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Cutting. So the list goes on. But then David speaks in the Psalms of the positive power of the tongue. My tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. My tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. And so on it goes. It's a tool that can build or a tool that can destroy. It has the power, your tongue and mine, according to the Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, it has the power of death and life. That's serious. Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. It's death or life. The tongue can do good, they can do evil. And if it's death, if that's the evil tongue, you're going to eat the fruit of it. Funny enough, it's the tongue, the mouth, 
you're going to eat it. If it's doing good, the fruit is going to be good, and you'll enjoy the fruit, the good fruit. The New Testament parallel account is in Matthew 12. I mentioned that in the introduction, but Christ is responding to the Pharisees who have just um, declared that the, the way he cast the demon out of that man was by the power of Beelzebub. That's what they said. And they blasphemed the Holy Spirit when they did that. In that context, Christ said, Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. He's not saying that we, are, we, we were justified, uh, saved by our words, but they declare whether or not we're justified. Our words. They reveal the character. On Judgment Day, it's obvious that one of the ways that God is going to expose someone who is true or false is by the words that he logged. He logged. I'm told that, in my country at least, I imagine it's here as well, that every phone call, every text, every email of everybody is being stored. I can believe that. You think those Pictures you delete on your phone are gone. They're not gone. A fellow married to my cousin who's in law enforcement, child abuse division. They stay on the mainframes of the companies. But that is nothing compared to God logging every word that's uttered. The tongue has this power to, to bring blessing or to bring cursing into our lives and into the lives of others. David has a question for the children in Psalm 34. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Right? So what he's about to say, he's summarizing. I want to teach you what the fear of the Lord is really all about. Then he says this, What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? What a question that is. Where is the man who wants to live and live a long time so he can see great blessing on his own life and the life of others? But what is his answer? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Isn't that amazing? Only the Holy Spirit would have put that in. That wouldn't come first to my mind. It's the tongue, the mouth, the words. This is the fear of the Lord. So we begin to see how critical, how vital our tongues are. We just can't brush them aside. We can't just ignore what we talk about and how we talk. Don't do that. 
not in light of what we just read. You see, a holy tongue and holy conversation, words that are pleasing to God, words that glorify God, automatically are a blessing to others. And I know if you're His, you want to be a blessing to them. You don't want to be the opposite to them. My prayer was often that God would bring me here that I could simply be a blessing to this congregation. But it wasn't me that I was asking him for. It was Christ in me. Just hide this man behind Christ. That's what we want as the Lord's people. Just the instruments, just the channels. And I know you want that. I know you want that. Do you realize, in light of that, how critical it is that you struggle for a holy tongue? Pleasant words, Proverbs 10, 24. Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Proverbs 15, verse 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant, delightful, pleasing words. An unholy tongue brings destruction. It brings pain, it hurts, it tears down. So we have the struggle. And David cries to God for a holy tongue, a a consecrated tongue. My second major thought this evening is to look at the root of the holy tongue, the root of the holy tongue. The words of our mouths can always be traced back to a root cause. I'm referring to the origin, to the source of a holy tongue. From from what David says in the middle of this text, we find that the root, if you like the word fountain, of a holy tongue is the heart. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The words of our mouths, how we use our tongues, come from what is in our hearts. The words of our mouth, the words, are external. But they originate from that which is internal. So in asking God for a holy holy tongue, David is not only praying for his words to be pleasing to God, but that the meditation of his heart would be pleasing to God. He knows if if the meditations, if the musings, if the thoughts of his heart are not pleasing to God, then his words are not going to be pleasing to God, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That's what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, if you want the reference. 
The Lord indicates that our heart is the root of the words of our tongue, which is the fruit. If the root of the tree be good, Christ made it clear in the Sermon on the Mount that the fruit will be good. But if the root is evil, then the fruit that comes from that will be evil. That means to the degree that the meditations of our heart, what's in our hearts, are holy and good and pleasant and pleasing to God, then the words that come out of our mouths will be holy, pleasant, and pleasing to God. The struggle we're dealing with tonight, as all of them are, and I've tried to emphasize that, is really a heart issue. It's a heart struggle. The war that's going on, whether it's trying to deal with that thorn in the flesh or trying to deal with the battle between faith and unbelief or that battle with worry, whatever they are, it's, it's a heart issue. David knew it. That doesn't mean to say what I've just pointed out about the evil root, evil fruit, good root, good fruit. It doesn't mean to say that in, in, in the context of the tongue that a man who has been given a new heart in which the Holy Spirit dwells will never say words that are unacceptable to God. He will. You know right well He will. You know right well you have. I know right well I have. Unkind words, cutting words, harsh words. Destructive. Needless. Prideful. Shall I go on? I'm sure you could fill in your own adjectives as you think about the use of your tongue. Let's be honest. Let's just be honest before God. It's silly to pretend that this isn't us. Or that man's not talking about us. I'm talking about every one of us here tonight. We have this struggle. We say things that grieve the Lord. It's real. But that doesn't mean our profession is false. We're talking about a habit of life. We're talking about a, 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 a character being described as far as those who have a false religion. That's all they do. That's what comes out continually. They have no control over it. There is no holy bit in their mouth. There is no godly rudder that's guiding their life. Because they're not saved. The heart's unregenerate. Evil dwells within. The root is evil. And so it's going to be characterized by a constant flow from their mouth of bad words, bad conversations, unpleasing to God. And it doesn't bother them. You know the old sailor, you know the bio of John Newton. I don't know if it's true or not, but the bio says he could curse for 15 minutes straight and not repeat the same curse word. That's quite a vocabulary, you know. Until God saved him. And it all changed. The cursing stopped. A child of God may at time utter angry words. To your spouse, 
Listen, folks, you don't have to be 200 decibels shouting to utter angry words. You can utter angry words at 10 decibels. I'm, going, I'm not going to let any one of us off the hook. Angry words. And they cut deeply. Christians utter lying words. They lie on their income taxes. They call them white lies when they tell people things. Tell them I'm not here. Tell them I'm not here. Just go ahead and lie to them. Christians utter divisive words. Churches have been split wide open because Christians, they use their tongue to divide people, to divide the body of Christ. Christians have done that. Unworthy of the name Christian, but that's not their habit. That's not where they live. And when they utter those words, if they're God's people, I will tell you what will happen. They will feel the guilt and the shame. The Holy Ghost within them will prick their hearts. And they will find themselves before God saying, Lord, forgive me. I should not have said that. And they will go to the one they have offended with their angry words, their hurtful words, their prideful words, and say, please forgive me. That's a Christian. My, how the Lord loves those words when he hears them. They please him. But a man whose heart is unregenerate can never speak words that are truly holy words. It's an impossibility. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit within. He doesn't have a holy heart. Now, they may sound holy, but they cannot be holy because the root of the fruit is not there unless the heart be transformed the life will never be reformed i want to tell you we should we should be far more concerned about being holy inwardly than to be seeming good outwardly Because God looks upon the heart. This is why James said that if any man seems to be religious but does not bridle his tongue, then the religion is vain. It's useless, it's empty, it's false. We, we, we come to the, and I don't mean any pun here, but we come to the heart of the whole matter tonight when we come to the heart itself. The heart is the fountain, and the words are the streams that flow from the fountain. Dirty the fountain, dirty the words. How do we keep how do we keep our words holy? By keeping our hearts with all diligence. Proverbs four. 
I imagine that the vast majority of you know that text very well, keep thy heart with all diligence, but what does that mean? It's like so many things, we, we know the verses, we can quote them off, we've memorized them, but we've never really sat down to analyze, to break it down, and what it actually looks like in real time. And we miss so much when we just read them and, oh, that's a nice verse, that was comforting or that was challenging or whatever it was. It's, it's, it's the digging down into it as best we can. We're talking about the meditations of the heart. So in the first place, what it looks like, it means that we pay very careful attention as to what is allowed into our hearts. What is allowed to fill it up because whatever fills our hearts is that which is going to eventually come out in words. Since out of the abundance of the heart, what's filling it up? The mouth speaketh. So therefore, you don't want the fountain to be polluted because if the fountain is polluted because what's been allowed in, I can guarantee you what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, is going to be adversely affected. It's only reasonable, is it not? It's in that context again and about the words of the tongue in Matthew 12. Christ said that a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. That word treasure is an interesting word. You know Greek. All of you do. Well, little ones might not right now, but you, you older ones know this Greek word for treasure. Thesaurus. Sound familiar? Thesaurus? What's a thesaurus? It's not an old dinosaur. It's a book of synonyms. Preachers, well, I guess Mr. Gear has one. Mr. Stewart, you, get, you can get caught up with these thesauruses when you like to alliterate all the time. Because you've got to find the word. That's not the word that's going to match my alliteration. So you pull your thesaurus out which is usually a whole lot of different words you can have to fill in there. Sometimes they also have antonyms to the synonyms in those books, but that's the word that's being used for, for treasure. But its primary meaning in the original language is a treasury or a storehouse. A treasury is a place where you store up things, you store up treasure that is what? Valuable to you. Valuable. It's precious to you. That's why you store it up. You don't put the junk into a treasury. It's stuff that's important. You don't want to lose it. You don't want it to be stolen. And if a man has in his heart good treasure, if he has stored up good treasure, it will be shown when he talks. It'll be shown by his tongue, his speech. 
Everyone who's been born again has this good treasure, placed in his heart by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is planted in his heart, right? Thy law, David says in Psalm 40, 40 verse 8, thy law is within my heart. The Holy Ghost puts it there. The law is written on the heart. God has put His love in our heart. The Spirit of God sheds forth the Father's love in our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Note that's where the prayer comes from. The love of God being planted in us by the Holy Ghost moves us to use our tongues to pray. It's a treasure put there. There is a a new will that we have. We have a new love in our hearts. A new mind that God has put there. And out of those treasures, if they are truly there, a man will speak. It will show up in the words that he utters. Don't miss the point, please, that the heart is still the place where the child of God is to continually store up those things which he has taken pains to collect because they are valuable to him. This is the fountain of a good heart. You store them up. You say, I want a holy tongue then I know that what's in my heart's going to come out and how I talk and what I talk about. I need to store up, treasure up good things that will give me a clean fountain so the words that come out are clean. I need that rudder. I need that bit in my mouth because I've got a sinful nature that if it is not brought under control, it will say things that are horrendous. And you will hurt the people that you love the most because the tongue is not under control. To boil it all down, there are things which the believer must be careful to keep out of his heart and there are things which he must be careful to store up in his heart if his tongue is going to be holy. Things like what? Keep out things like what? If, if We must keep out of our hearts anything that is defiling, that is corrupting, guarding it. Remember, you don't want to pollute the fountain. Polluting the fountain pollutes the tongue. There are two avenues which Corruption, or we'll get to the other in a minute, but the good things can enter into the heart. Those two avenues are the eyes and the ears. Those are the the channels through which these bad things or good things enter into the heart. David said in Psalm 101 verse 3 that he would set no wicked thing before his eyes. Why? Because the eyes are the inlets to lust. The lust of the eyes, to take the words of Paul, or John, I should say, and are easily 
caught up with things, just a glance that inflame the heart, that corrupt, that defile the heart. And there's no way under God's glorious heaven that you're going to have those eyes as an inlet for something that is corrupt and it's not going to affect your speech. I'll tell you where it affected. First off, it's in the place of prayer. You won't want to pray. You won't want to call upon the Lord. The fountain's been polluted. It's been corrupted. That is why Job said, chapter 31, verse 1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? It seems that many of God's people don't understand how what they watch on television, what they read in magazines, what they see on the internet has an awful, awful power to corrupt the heart, to defile it, to pollute it. To set before our eyes worthless, wicked things is to put them on a path directly to our hearts. And when they are in our hearts, guess what's going to happen? It's going to affect how we talk. The things we say, the things we don't say. I was in Phoenix a year ago in a hotel room, and it was the Olympics. I don't have a TV, so I don't get to see these live things going on, but I turned it on, there's a channel for the Olympics, it's great, but then a commercial comes on. And there are lesbians and homosexuals. This is regular, this is not cable, this is regular television. And I begin, you know, this is, this is regular stuff now. I mean, it, it's perverse, it's sick. And why would we allow that to be in our homes? I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes because it is going to affect my heart. This is not legalism, brothers and sisters. I am not saying that you're justified by throwing your TV out. God forbid. But there is no way under God's heaven that you can watch so much, yeah, I know there's educational channels and all. My fear is there's much more being watched than that. It seems there's a whole lot of foul language in movies.
I know that you would never in a million years let some man come into your home with your children there and start cursing away. You would stop him dead in his tracks. Mister, close your mouth. But for some reason, it's like there is a veil put over our eyes when it comes to movies that are just full of cursing. And your kids are being raised with it. They may be hearing their first curse words in their own homes on some television set. Come on now, let's just be honest. It's polluting the fountain of the heart. And when that takes place, the meditations of our hearts are not going to be pleasing because the heart has been defiled. The other avenue is the ear. What we listen to, this is the avenue to our hearts. What we listen to is going to affect the spiritual state of our heart. If you don't think that listening to rock and roll, whether it's the traditional hardcore rock and roll, they have all kinds of names for it now, I understand. I listen to rock and roll, I know all about it, at least from my era. I know the message, I know the music. It doesn't matter if it's taking the venue of Christian rock and roll, it makes no difference. I, I mentioned some night along the line here of those three years I spent in drinks and drugs and rock music, and the Lord drew me out of it all, set me back, he restored his wandering sheep. So I'm, I'm in my apartment bedroom, and I'm cleaning everything up, and I have this Christian radio, there's preaching on it, on the radio, and then I heard this music, and I just stopped dead in my tracks. That's the music I just threw in the bin. I recognized it. That's, that's rock music. Don't anyone tell me that music is amoral. Music is not amoral. It's the universal language music. And I was shocked. I had no idea about, in those days, contemporary music. I was clueless. I shut it off and never turned it back on again, that station anyway, because I knew what that was going to do to me. It was going to defile my heart. Don't, don't think you can just listen to any old kind of music you want to, and it's not going to affect your heart. You have believed the lie of the devil if you think so. You are deceived already. Maybe you're wondering why you have a problem with controlling your tongue. The outburst of anger. The constant criticism. Is the heart, has the fountain been defiled? Be not deceived. 1 Corinthians 15, evil communications corrupt good manners. Literally, evil company or companions corrupts good morals or good character. The, the, the attitudes of the companions, their mindset, their corruption comes out clearly in the words of their mouth. 
So if you young people are hanging with other young people who have a filthy mouth, you get away from them as far as you can. It doesn't matter how much it may hurt their feelings, get away from them. You are not wiser than God. You are not wiser than God. They will corrupt you. It becomes a channel to your own heart if you're a child of God. It becomes a channel. And you'll back talk to your mother. You'll be unkind, mean, arrogant. Oh, you're a Christian. But your ears and your eyes have been opened to that which defiles. That's the problem. You haven't kept out. You haven't kept out of your heart that which corrupts. That's why you talk like you do. I'm simply saying that what goes in will eventually work its way out in the words of our mouths because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. That's why there's juicy gossip. Did you hear? Well, it's the truth like that makes gossip okay. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. When the Word of God says, speak evil of no man, it's obvious that the Christian must give righteous judgment. And when there is fault that's got to be exposed and dealt with, you've got to say, here's the truth. But it's never done with the purpose of injuring. That's the difference. It's not designed to hurt. So when the, when the heart, because it's defiled, utters critical words, they're done to destroy. We, 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 secondly, we not only want to keep corrupting influences out of our heart, we want to store up that which is good, that which will affect what we talk about and how we talk. So, um, you don't have to turn there. Let me find my little place here. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Here's what the apostle said. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom... Now here's what follows that. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's because the word of Christ is dwelling richly in the heart that there is the singing and the blessing and the building up of the kingdom of God. Joys in the soul. Because why? The word is in the soul. The word is in the heart. To hearken back to the words of Christ Jesus, we want to store up the good things, and the good things, part of that is the Word of God. 
How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. Thy word, thy word. So you, you, you know obviously then why you have a trouble with your tongue. The word's not going in. You're content to come to church and hear the preacher preach the sermon, but as far as taking your own serious personal time to read it, you don't have time. And why would you therefore be surprised that you're not controlling your tongue because you're not storing up the good things in your heart? You do that and the good things come out. I don't think we realize how valuable serious Bible study actually is to living a holy life and controlling our tongue. What's the, which leads me to my final point. What's the resource for a holy tongue? I hope by now, what message is this, seven? You know the answer. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Literally, O Jehovah, my rock and my redeemer. Same word is used in Psalm 18 where David says, For who is God save the Lord? Or who is a rock? That's the word. Save our God. It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. So it is, brothers and sisters, the Lord who is the resource for all that is necessary to have a holy tongue. It has not been left up to you to figure it out. Praise be to his name. It has not been left up to you. Struggle we will. But he's the rock. And he's the strength. For every struggle. You want to... I meant to do this last night, forgot. But I'm not going to forget tonight. Oh, Pastor Wagner, you just don't know how much I struggle with my tongue. I'm just short-tempered and I get impatient and I say things that I... I, to, to, to my spouse or to my child or to a child to the parent, and I really I just can't. Well, let's put that. Problem with my tongue. Now, what are we going to put before it? My grace is sufficient for your struggle with your tongue. My grace is sufficient. We get a holy heart and therefore a holy tongue by persistently praying for it. If you believe that God is the source, He's really the way, the only way this is going to happen, the only way your speech is going to become purer, more like the Master's, more in line with the Word of God, and not as hurtful, harmful, prideful, whatever problem is then what better thing can you do than go to God and keep praying, Lord, i got a problem with my tongue, but you said you're my rock and you're my strength. I can't beat this, but you can. 
So you pray and you pray. And a wonderful transformation takes place, brothers and sisters, when you pray. Because he said he will answer. He's not pulling your chain. He's not just holding out this little carrot. No, it's a true promise. I'll help you. And I'll strengthen you. And you'll find that the temper dies down. And you become more convicted when those proudful words come out of your mouth. You realize that was so proud. You didn't see it before. It was arrogance. But now you begin to see because God's been answering prayer. We get a holy tongue not just by praying to God for one who is our rock and strength, but we get a holy tongue by walking in the Spirit who is the Holy Spirit. You walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the deeds or the lusts of the flesh. You won't. That's a promise. Walk in In the chapter dealing with drunkenness, Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. That is not referring to these instantaneous fillings for service. It's living, existing, I should say, existing, full of, under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's something held out to us by the Lord. You don't say, well, it's for older, more mature Christians. That's nonsense. That's what the devil would have you to believe. Is for any child of God, you can exist full of under His control, which will mean your feelings, your emotions, your thinking are now under His control. That bit is in your mouth. And you think about launching it, it just pulls you back. We get a holy tongue. Finally, by following, this is what we are, we're followers of Christ. And we all pray, make me like Jesus. We get a holy tongue by following His example. You know what they said about Him? I would have loved to have been there hearing Him. Never man spake like this man. Is he not our pattern? Isn't that what this is all about? Talking as much as by the grace of God we can, like Christ. Our tongues seeking to be holy, like Christ's tongue was holy. Not grieving God with our tongues. Christ's words never grieved his Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 1 Peter 2, For even hereunto were ye called, this is our calling, listen carefully, and I'll be done. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow His steps, who did no sin, Neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, 
but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Like anything else we've looked at this week, it is going to be by looking off to Christ. Make me, make my tongue, my mouth like his. Before I close, a word to any here tonight who aren't saved. Your tongue is uncontrolled. Vile things come out of your mouth. And there's one reason, because your heart is vile. You've never been given a new heart. You're going on in your mouth, how you talk, what you talk about shows so clearly. You've never been saved. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if you asked God to give you a new heart tonight and use your tongue for the first time to call upon him? Lord, my heart is dirty, it's filthy, it's black as black can be. But that man up there tells me that you will give me a new heart if I ask. Why not tonight? Go out with a new heart and a new tongue. And there'll be joy in the midst of the angels in heaven. Tonight. Let's all pray. Father, we come at the close of the meeting praying once again that the word of the Lord would not be snatched away by the fowls of the air, by carelessness. We would take the word to our closets and pray over it and pray it in. We would take it in earnest for thy people really want to have holy tongues. Grant them to grow more and more as the holy tongue of thine own Son. May people discern it's Christ in us speaking. For that soul or souls that know thee not, in his name we ask that thou wilt arrest them and give them no peace until they use their tongue to call upon the name of the Lord. In his name we pray, amen and amen.